before we get into Mark, we, um, we're going to say a little prayer today for maybe many things, but this morning Betty Bigelow has something happened this morning, so Mike and Kathy had to run out, but we're going to pray for Betty uh, this morning. Um, don't know what it is um, specifically, but let's be in prayer. Um, pray with me as I pray up here. Um, pray for Betty. Um, pray for Mike and Cassie as they're going to uh, care for her, see what's up. Um, pray for the ears that are here listening to God's Word. Pray for the children in here right now. There's no children back there, but they're going to be in here with us. Pray that all of our hearts and minds and eyes will be open to what uh, the Gospel of Mark has for us today. And one thing to draw your attention to as well, you see these cards in front of you on the pews. There's a spot for prayer requests. Um, so if you have any prayer needs, uh, hand them to me or one of the leaders, the elders, the deacons, whatever. Um, they'll get it to me on my desk and we'll pray. Um, um, prayer is powerful, right? So we need to go to um, God in prayer for many different needs. So let's go to Him right now. Oh God, we come before Your throne of grace with broken hearts, broken spirits at times, but we know and are confident that You hear us. This world we live in is a fallen world in need of fixing, repair, and the most important repair is our souls, our hearts, our minds. I pray at this time, especially for Betty, I don't know specifically what's going on, but I know that you are watching over her, you're with her right now, and we pray that you just give those who care for her wisdom to know how to care for her wisely and in the best way. But we know that you are the great physician, the great healer, the great comforter, so please Put your hand of special blessing on Betty at this time. Be with the hearers, myself included today. As we come to God's Word, help us to be open to what you have for us from the Gospel of Mark and how Jesus ministered to many people and how He makes an impact. And I pray for those online as well who are listening that all of our hearts and minds would be open that we'd be ready to maybe make changes where we need to make changes and not refuse the Holy Spirit's leading. Help us to follow the Spirit today, this week, and for the rest of our lives. Thank you for the picture today of remembering Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He came... He sought sinners like us. So help us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the Gospel of Mark, it's only chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3. I told a couple people I might have bitten off more than I can chew today, but we're going to try. And some people said, why don't you just have a part two if you don't finish it? So if that happens, I'll say continue next week. 
but I hope to just get your mind wrapped around the idea of the impact of Jesus. I came up with the title, you know, ministers somehow have to come up with a title to get people interested, attracted to what's going on in the book of Mark or any passage they come to, Sunday school teachers as well. They try to get it exciting. So I came up with this title on Tuesday. I sent it out to Karen. I sent it out on Facebook, I think. But then I went to it on Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, whenever I was in my office. I forget the days. This week was a long week. But I said, why did I title it The Impact of Jesus? And I was like, my favorite thing? I have to look up words. <laughs> and I looked up the word impact. And in my office, I have no dictionary. I didn't have my computer at the time. So I was like, where do I go for a dictionary? I didn't want to leave my office. I could have walked to the library, I know. And maybe they have one. So I have my Kindle, and it's the Oxford Dictionary, so I looked up impact. And the definition of impact is a marked effect or influence. It didn't give me anything. I was like, okay, I knew that, sort of. It makes an influence. So I looked up the word effect, same dictionary. Uh, effect means a change which is a result or consequence of an action or other cause. I looked up the word influence. The capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or the effect itself. Impact. But I didn't stop there. The impact of Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. He's the Savior of the world. So you have the impact, the A change, remember, a marked effect. So you could say a marked or a change, which is a result of Jesus' actions. You can take it that way, or His message. And if you use the word influence, you could say the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone, and Jesus did that. Jesus impacted a lot of people in his ministry, in his death, burial, and resurrection, in his, the word came to me, and I I don't think it's a word, but mediatorship, (laughs) mediator, he's the mediator between us and God. And he's coming back one day to take his bride with him to eternity. The impact of Jesus. When I looked up those words and put it together, I was like, yes. Jesus makes an impact on the world. And you'll see it, a glimpse of it in this passage. And I hope to bring it to today a little bit. So I'm going to read the whole text here. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 35. I'm going to read the whole text and we'll get into it. Are you excited? Are you ready? Do you have your ears open, your minds open, your hearts open? And I want to say this because my kids are in the room, other kids are in the room, I think there's something for children in every message, but this one specifically, I think there's something in there. So children, especially have your eyes 
and ears open today. So here we go. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7, going to the end of the chapter. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Barnegis, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Pray with me before we get into God's word. God, thank you for Mark and his writing. Please send your spirit in each one of us and teach us the truth in this passage today that we may be changed, transformed, renewed to go out and do the work you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark continues the story. Remember, he is on, Jesus is on the move. He's a go, go, go. And you see, remember last week, verse 6, the, the Pharisees went in, out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. 
And then verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. I don't know if Jesus heard the news or it came about him and said, people are looking out and wanting to kill you. If he heard that, maybe that's a reason why he withdrew. I looked up the word withdraw because I like definitions. And this is what withdraw means. My notes are scattered because of the week. But this is Jesus withdrawing. The withdrawal word is anakorio. To withdraw. But there's another definition, especially for this mark. It could be of those who through fear seek some other place or shun sight. Not saying that Jesus was maybe scared, but he had a little maybe like, I need to withdraw from this place for a little bit. Because the Herodians and the Pharisees are plotting together to come get me. If he heard that, maybe that's why he's withdrawing with his disciples to the lake. But then you see, right after that, so he's withdrawing to a lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. The crowds. Why I entitled this The Impact of Jesus, because in this passage you see a lot of groups of people. You see the crowds. You have the disciples of Jesus. You have the impure spirits. They're not people, but they're in the story. You have the family of Jesus, the close family coming to Jesus and trying to get him out of the room, you know? And then you have the teachers of the law in this section. That's a lot of groups of individuals or spirits. That's a lot of them. And Jesus makes an impact on every one of them in a different way. And I want to point that out. Because today, some people don't want to hear Jesus Some people don't want to proclaim Jesus, even from a pulpit. I listened to one sermon this week. I was like, I'm just going to listen again to this person and see what he says. He quoted Jesus, or he said Jesus' name twice. One was in a prayer, and one was saying, if you want to receive Jesus, pray this prayer. I hope... If you hear me from this pulpit and I never speak the name of Jesus, I hope you stop me at the door and say, Hey, Keith, what was up with today's sermon? You had nothing to do with Jesus. I hope you stop me and say that. I don't know if people in this person's church are saying that. I hope they are, but they're probably not. So Jesus withdraws and he goes And a large crowd follows him. So the crowds, what are they looking for in this passage? They're looking for healing. Okay, look at that. Uh, Colden, go to that next slide here. First, I want to point out this. It's a hard map to read, I know that. But I'm going to point this out. Can you all see kind of what it's saying? Do you see a map, everybody? Okay. (laughs) I I had a feeling like it's not going to show up, but I'm going to show you Just, I'm going to try to point this out. You see the circle right here, right? Everybody see that circle? That's one of the places in this passage because I was like, I have no idea where that is. Idumea, okay? But you see that. When they heard about all he was doing, 
all Jesus was doing. Many people came to him from Judea, okay? Judea is right here. Okay? Then you have Jerusalem. Where to go? I'm tall. I can maybe point this out. Judea is right there. Jerusalem's right above it, okay? I forget how many miles. I didn't look that up. But I'm just pointing out places at the same. So Jerusalem. Idumea is down here, okay? The southern part. Then you have the regions across the Jordan, which is like probably everywhere, across the Jordan River, which is between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, across the Jordan. Then you have Tyre and Sidon, which is up north, way up north, right? Keep going. It's, it's far. Right there and all the way up there. They're coming to probably this area right here, the lake, Sea of Galilee. Just right there, is he impacting a lot of people? They're not just coming from the cities around the sea. They're coming from the south. They're coming from the north. They're probably coming from the west. And come, is that, that's east. They, but they could be coming from the west around the globe, right? Man. Hey, your elders make me laugh, okay? <laughs> our elders, sorry, our elders. Just the impact. You see the impact. The crowds are coming from everywhere in that area. But they're coming for one reason and one reason only, to get healed. That's why Jesus is saying to his disciples, Hey, get a small boat ready, please. I need a, a getaway car, okay? I need a getaway vehicle to get away from these crowds. We're going to go on the lake if they get too many. One writer pointed out that's the first specific instructions he gives his disciples. Go get a boat for me. To keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. They thought even touching Jesus, we're going to get healed if we just get to Jesus and touch him. That's why we're going there. The crowds followed Jesus for physical healing. And Jesus, probably, he says, he probably healed many. Even at that time. But the crowds just wanted to follow Jesus or get to Jesus for healing. And Jesus, yes, that was part of his mission, but remember his mission was to preach, repent, and believe. They were getting there to get healed. The crowds follow Jesus. One writer points out this. The crowds wanted healing. Jesus wanted to preach. Jesus is saying, yes, I could heal you, but I want to preach. The impact of Jesus on the crowds. Yes, he's a healer, but he wants much more than to be healer of the physical body. He wants to be healer of the spiritual soul, the heart. 
the impact of Jesus on the crowds. Then you get the next set. Oh, we're going to go to the impure spirits because there's one verse there. Verse 11, when the spirits, the impure spirits saw him, they spoke truth, right? You are the son of God. And Jesus says, hey, 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 hey. Don't tell anybody. Kind of shut up. I don't know what Jesus is trying to do. Sometimes I'm confused. I'm like, don't you want people to know you're son of God? Don't you want people to know it? But he doesn't want it to come from the impure spirits. One writer, which I highly, I was like, yes, this is it. He said this, Jesus wanted not pretension, pretentious claims and impressive titles from demons, true as they might have been, but rather he wanted the witness of changed lives and empowered words of men who had been with him and whose lives were different as a result, who were sent out to say what they had heard and learned. That's why you have this passage next. He goes up on a mountainside. He tells the impure spirits, shh, don't tell anybody. Then he takes with him, okay, he goes up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. What a phrase that is. Those he wanted. If somebody says, I want you, isn't that like encouraging to you? They came to you and said, I want you to help me with this. Isn't that powerful or encouraging? You don't want somebody to come up to you and say, eh, you'll do. Come here. (laughs) Jesus goes up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. He's like, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. Come with me to this mountainside. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12. One thing to point out, I know you probably understand this, but I think there was a lot more than 12, just so you know. But I think these were kind of leaders of this group. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then he names them. Mark writes them down for us. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. He was give, they were given the name Sons of Thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Yes, he even picked Judas Iscariot. Yes, he did. Do you notice in the twelve? You have brothers, two sets of brothers. You have a tax collector. You have Simon the Zealot who was against Rome. You have, remember Levi Matthew was a tax collector collecting taxes for Rome. So now he's with the disciples. And Simon the Zealot who is against Rome, they're together. You have fishermen tax collector, the zealot I talked about, and some people we don't know who, what they did. <laughs> it doesn't give any descriptions. I was sitting at my desk, and I was like, 
Ooh, Ferris Church of Christ. Farmers, retired people, teachers, therapists. And I, you know, I, tried, I was trying to think of everybody, but if I miss somebody, bear with me, okay? You have grandparents, you have parents, you have single people, you have married people. We don't all have the same profession. We don't all have the same lifestyle, background. But what are we? A group. A family that works together. This group he's called, he said, I want you. I'm appointing you that you might be with me. You're going to learn from me for the next so many years. They probably didn't know how many years it was going to be. And then you're going to be sent out to preach just what I'm teaching you. And you're going to have the authority to drive out demons, which I don't have, so maybe I do, I just don't know. Maybe you do, and we don't know. But they're given the task. You're going to be with me, and you're going to be preaching, and you're going to have this authority. The twelve. That's a wide range of men. It's encouraging It doesn't matter where you come from, what you have done in the past, what your job is right now. God can use you. Because Jesus has made an impact on your life. And He's called you to follow Him and do what He wants you to do. One writer says this, David Garland in his commentary on Mark, the 12 will have to learn that there is a difference between hanging around with Jesus and truly being with Him. Remember, the crowds are hanging around, right? They're trying to get to Jesus, to touch Him, to get healed. They're hanging around. But the disciples are going to be hanging with Jesus all day. They're going to be walking together. They're going to be sleeping at the same time together. They're in the same house or wherever they sleep. They're going to eat together. They're going to travel together. They're going to preach together. Jesus will heal, yes. But they're going to be with Jesus and learning from Him. What a powerful impact Jesus made on these 12 men. I listened to my brother-in-law. This is kind of an interesting thing, just to get your mind around names. He pointed out that Simon was changed to Peter, the rock, right? Petros. You know what Petros means? Little rock. A stone. A pebble that could be moved. Petra means rock. And that rock is like the immovable rock, the one that's going to stay in its place. So my brother-in-law encouraged me that Peter was this, this movable rock. He was shaken a little bit. But Petra, the rock Jesus, helps Peter through hard times, suffering. And things like that. The, immovable, the movable rock is being held up by the immovable rock, Jesus. Look up names and their definitions because they're powerful. 
Just don't look up Keith because it means nothing, okay? <laughs> but names make the story even more interesting. He changes Simon to Peter. He changes James and John to Sons of Thunder. They're going to do something, right? You have James, which is the first disciple that was martyred. Then you have John, the last disciple who's dead, or who dies. He writes Revelation. He writes, you know, many things at the end of his life. So even there you're like, wow. James, the first martyr. John, maybe the last disciple that has died of these twelve. What an impact Jesus made. What an impact Jesus said, I want these people to follow me. And I'm appointing you to specific things. Let's move on. So you have the crowds. They're impacted by Jesus, yes. The disciples are definitely impacted. They're like, Jesus wants us, and we're going to follow him. The impure spirits, only they recognize Jesus as the Son of God, which is true, but they have no authority. They just, you know, Jesus shuts them up. Don't do it, impure spirits. They're impacted. Then you have the next section. Again, we, there's going to be details we miss, but I want you to get into the story of his impact. So he enters a house, maybe the one that he stayed in before, Simon and Andrew's house. And again, a crowd gathered. Man, crowds are always gathering around Jesus. So that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now, if I miss a meal, sometimes I'm like, man, I missed a meal. I'm hungry. They were so distracted maybe by the crowd that they couldn't even eat. So when his family heard about it, they went to take charge of him. They said, he's out of his mind. His family comes and says, oh, Jesus is just out of his mind. Let's take him. We're going to get him out of the house. And then the teachers of the law comes and says, hey, he's possessed by a Beelzebul. And then Jesus gives that little parable. How could Satan cast out Satan? And how could Satan work against Satan? How is that possible? If Satan drives out Satan, then his kingdom is done. And then he gets to this section, which we could go all day speaking about this and come up with ideas and come up with concepts and saying, have we done it? Have we not done it? But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. As a kid, did you ever read that and say, what? Like, am I doing it? Am I not doing it? This was really encouraging. This is from J.C. Ryle. You might have never heard of him, but he's an English Anglican bishop. And he said this about this verse. There is such a thing as a sin which is never forgiven, but those who are troubled about it are most unlikely to have committed it. I like that. Because if you think about it, if we're troubled by something, that means the Holy Spirit's working. That means you're listening to the Holy Spirit. If you're guilty of like, ooh, have I done that? Man, what am I doing? That's a good thing, I believe. The Holy Spirit's working. But if you're so, like Sunday school today, if you have a calloused heart, right? 
a hardened heart, like we talked about last week, a stubborn heart, you don't want to change. I put it on Facebook, but I'm going to say it again. The word for stubborn hearts or hardening of hearts is the word porosis. That means stubborn heart. And the definition of that word is hardening of hearts, of stubbornness, obduracy. And then I looked up the word obdurate. It means stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action. You're just refusing to change. And then the word blaspheme, blaspheme, blasphemio, means this, to blaspheme, rail at or revile, is used of those who speak contemptuously of God or of sacred things. And then I had to look up contemptuously. And that means manifesting, feeling, or expressing deep hatred or disapproval. Feeling or showing contempt. Deep hatred for God or sacred things. That's blasphemio against the Holy Spirit. So if you're kind of like, have I done that before? You're probably, you didn't do it. I'm just going to say, I think that's right. You didn't do it. If we're troubled, I think that means the Holy Spirit's working in you. So that's a little bit about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you were wondering. But then, another writer points out, Paul McReynolds, these are commentaries in the library, they're wonderful commentaries. He wrote this, Why does Jesus single out the Spirit? The Spirit is the power of God. To deny or insult the Spirit is to cut off the power. Remember in the book of Acts, we'll see, if you go on to the book of Acts, Jesus is saying the power will come upon you. And then you'll go out and be my witnesses. Jesus here, that's what this writer is saying. Jesus singles them out because that's where the power is. The Holy Spirit is powerful. And if you say, or if you have deep hatred against the Spirit, you're cutting off the power. So Jesus makes an impact on the teachers of the law and kind of gets them to think and say, watch what you're doing. Now, do you warn people if they've already committed something? Like if your kid runs out or somebody runs out in the middle of the road and gets hit by a car and they're they're okay, but they get hit and you're like, why did you do it? Uh, Don't run into the street. You're not going to warn them if that's already happened, right? Jesus is warning them because I don't believe, I mean, I believe Jesus is warning them because they haven't committed it yet. They're speaking against Jesus. They're saying, ah, he's possessed by a demon. But then he warns them, those who speak against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. I believe there's a chance for the teachers of the law to say, Jesus, I was wrong. I repent, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Do you ever have people today like that? They finally say, Jesus, I need you. He warns people and us today to follow him. So he's impacting the teachers of the law and maybe they don't even know it. They don't even know it, maybe. Maybe. 
And then you get to the family of Jesus. Now this is, you know, the family are coming to the house where he's not even able to eat and he says, and they say, he's out of his mind, he's crazy. Let him come with us. And then he, they didn't, and he didn't go with them at that time. And then he, you get the teachers of the law, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And then verse 31, then Jesus' mother. I think this is the first time in Mark where we hear about Mary, Jesus' mother. Jesus' mother and brothers. Yes, he had other brothers. We know that, right? James and Jude. Remember we went over those books? And his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Go get Jesus for us. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And then he poses the question, who are my mother and brothers? Then he looked around. They're right here, sitting around me. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The family of Jesus, whoever does God's will. I know a lot of writers, I'm quoting a lot of people, but when you read something, you're like, yes, that's, I can't say it any better. Two writers here. One, Emerson Powery writes this, for Jesus, family is anyone who stays in the struggle, anyone who does the will of God, who continues to fight against the dehumanizing forces of evil, who engages head-on the societal institutional structures of deprivation that keep humans down. You're doing the will of God. Remember, Jesus came for the broken, the sinners. And David Garland again writes this. This hits home because it's, Speaking of today's, watch this. This requires more than sharing a pew on Sunday morning and a fellowship donut afterward. Instead, we are to allow these persons to become our parents, our children, our siblings. Speaking of family. We are to adopt one another, accepting responsibility for and commitment to one another. The church is to take those who know the hurt of the world and bring them into the healing of community acceptance. Do we just come in here and sit in a pew? Or do we truly say, look at the person next to you and say, that is my brother, that is my sister, that is my mother. And we're going to be committed to each other. I'm going to help them. They're hopefully going to help me. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It's impactful. Jesus makes an impact on the crowds, the disciples, the impure spirits He makes an impact, the teachers of the law, maybe they don't even realize it, but also His own family and the people around him that he's including in the family. He says, I know my family's outside. Didn't say that, but he knows his family's outside, but he's like, you around here, you're my family. You're God's family if you do God's will. Jesus 
impacted the world around him in so many ways. In so many ways. Does he make an impact on your life? Does he make an impact in your home? Does he make an impact in our church, our community? Because remember, Mark is saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He comes on the scene and the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I'm here. The king is here. And Jesus is calling people to himself here. Those he wanted and saying, you're going to go out and preach. You're going to go out and drive out demons. You're going to be with me for so long. You're going to learn from me. Have we learned from Jesus? Have we been saying, Jesus, I want you as my Savior? And if you've accepted Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, where do I go? And then you come to the conclusion of who Jesus is to you. You've probably heard this before, but C.S. Lewis writes this. This is our invitation. I'm going to tie three things together here for our invitation because I think everybody here has to make a choice. And you'll hear it in this invitation. Watch this, how these tie together. C.S. Lewis writes this at the end of one of his chapters in Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, he writes. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Did you catch it in the middle? You must make your choice. Your choice. I can't make the choice for you. You must make a choice. Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then hymn writer Leroy McClaird wrote this. In Jesus is Lord of all, stanza three, he says, Will you surrender your all to him now? Follow his will and obey. Crown him as sovereign before his throne bow. Give him your heart today. Your choice. Your choice. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gospel of Mark. Jesus made an impact on many different people. I pray that each one of us listening today would make a choice. Who is Jesus? 
Who is Jesus? We remember Jesus today around the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died, was buried, and rose again to bring new life, spiritual life. Not just physical healing, but spiritual healing is the most important thing. So I pray that all of us here today will make a choice. Who is Jesus? It's in His wonderful name we pray. Amen.